But we're so blessed to have all of you here in the room with us. If you're here for the first time or if you're joining us online for the first time, we do want to say welcome to all of you. We're so glad you're here to worship with us tonight. And tonight we're going to be continuing our study through 2 Peter chapter 2 as we continue with Peter's teaching, which really has been his warning about false teachers, false prophets. And tonight, whereas we're closing chapter 2, we're going to be looking at how to avoid potholes in the road of faith. You know, the entirety of, of 2 Peter chapter 2, there's only three chapters in this whole letter, and a whole third of this book is devoted to the subject of false teachers and false prophets and how to spot them, how to identify them, how to not fall into false teaching. And so, because it's here, we want to go through it verse by verse. We don't want to skim past these types of chapters, but we do want to give it time and give it the focus that it's due because it's a very important topic. It's an important topic to spend time with um, because the effect that it can have on our lives. And so uh, medical professionals uh, like to say or used to say, I haven't heard it in a while myself, but I used to be told when I was younger that you would want to keep your prescriptions in the original packaging. I don't know if you've ever been told that by a medical professional or a doctor, but I was always told to keep my medicine in the original packaging. If I got it in a box, to keep it in the box. If I got it in a bottle specifically, to keep it in the bottle so that there was no confusion as to what the medicine was. There was no confusion as to who it was for or what it was uh, meant to accomplish. And so I read a story of a, of a woman who worked at a, at a phone store and she went on break. And when she came back from her break, she found her boss sitting at her desk with his head in his hands and his elbows, just leaning over the table. He looked like he was in pain or distress. And so he looked up as she came in and he's like, oh, I'm so sorry, I, 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 I hope you'll forgive me. You know, I took the liberty of going through your desk to find some aspirin, I just, I have this killer headache. It is, it is just wrecking me. So, so I found your pill jar in your desk and I took two of them and you know, I'm actually feeling a lot better. And so she looked at him and she goes, well, that's great, boss, because you'll also not get pregnant now either. <laughs> he took her uh, pregnancy pills. So just as it can be very dangerous to have the wrong medicine in the wrong jar with the wrong label, it's also very dangerous to call false teachers and what they teach as anything else other than false, because that's what it is, false. It's misleading, it's untrue, and it's dangerous. And so for that very reason, as I said, Peter spends one-third of this second letter he's writing here to make sure that bad medicine is labeled correctly. Now, this whole chapter has been very straightforward, uh, very complete, very concise, but very strong in its language, very harsh in its description of false teachers and what's coming on them. And, you know, we've all seen wrong way signs, you know, driving around before. Have you guys ever seen those? They're often, you know, bright red. They say wrong way in big, bold letters um, right on the thing. And it's meant to grab your attention. It's meant for you to realize, oh, I should not be going that direction. Well, this is what's in Peter's mind, giving us a big wrong way sign, okay? He understands that there's a right way to go and a wrong way to go in our faith walk. And there's a very real danger in this world of others steering us off the correct path steering us off the right way. Peter uses phrases and words here in this section like the straight path. He uses the phrase the way, referring to the way of righteousness. And that word, the way, that phrase that he uses here in the original language um, means roadways or pathways is what it's referring to. Now in his time, the most common form of traveling from point A to point B was walking on a pathway walking on a roadway. You know, if you were uh, blessed enough to have like a donkey or a horse or something to ride on, great. But most people, it was just walking on roadways and pathways. And so the picture in Peter's mind has been of someone walking down one of these pathways and somebody comes along and shoves them off the road. That's the idea. That's the picture of our faith walk that he's dealing with here. And so the New Testament, if you study through the New Testament, you'll see that um, it refers to our, our faith walk, our journey, our, our, our life with the Lord as exactly that, our walk. It's referred to as the phrases, your walk, the walk, the way, all these types of phrases, and they're symbolic of one thing, how we live our lives, right? When we talk about your walk in Christ, we're referring to as how you live in your life as a Christian, right? That's what the phrase means. And so Peter here is saying to, to us tonight, be very 
very careful. Take great caution because there's potholes in the road. There's potholes in the pathway that are placed there by false teachers, false prophets. There's even entire pathways that diverge off of the right pathway that are completely wrong and that will cause damage. So this second letter that we have from Peter that we've been studying, these are the last recorded words of Peter the Apostle. He was at the end of his life. He knew that. He was about to die. He knew that. And so his highest priority in this letter, again, taking up a third of the entire letter, is to make sure that these truths about false teachers and who they are and how to identify them are in place. And so this is what we're looking at tonight as we close this chapter. But let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word, and we thank you, God, Lord, that it is um, our manual for living. Lord, your word, your truth is exactly what we need to live lives that, that glorify your name, that live lives that honor you, Lord. But God, we live in a world where there are so many that would look into the truth of your word and twist it and misapply it. Lord, there are those that would look into your word, and for reasons we're going to look at tonight, God, that they want to change what it says, Lord, to, to benefit themselves, to benefit what they want, whether it's fame, money, power, control, whatever it may be, God. There are so many false doctrines that exist in the world today and false religions, Lord, and they lead so many astray from the straight path, the narrow path, Lord. And so, God, as believers in this world, especially when we have just an overabundance and, and, and just we're, we're inundated with information, Lord. We have the internet. We have all of these opportunities to get hours and hours and volumes and volumes of information of any kind. It's easy for people to get led astray. And so, Lord, tonight, just help us to be able to identify the potholes, to avoid the potholes, Lord, that false teachers put in front of us, Lord, that we would stay on the straight path without diverging, without wavering, without going astray ourselves, Lord, that we would then also be able to show others that straight path and to lead them to it and to lead them on it. Lord, we thank you so much. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're looking at verses 15 through 22, and I'm going to read the whole section here, and then we'll come back through it. But he says, they have gone astray, and he's speaking of the false teachers. They have gone astray by abandoning the straight path and have followed the path of Balaam, the son of Bosor, who loved the wages of wickedness, but received a rebuke for his lawlessness. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These people are springs without water, mists driven by a storm. The gloom of darkness has been reserved for them. For by uttering boastful, empty words, they seduce with fleshly desires and debauchery people who have barely escaped from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption, since people are enslaved to whatever defeats them. For if, having escaped the world's impurity through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in these things and defeated, the last state is worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them to not have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy command delivered to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a washed sow, sow returns to wallowing in the mud. So Peter in this section here, what I, what I see is, is he believes something very, very important. And it's a very important truth that we should all believe in, is that it's good for believers. It's good for Christians. For, uh, from time to time, to stop, to pause, to consider our walk, to look at the path we're on and to analyze, are we on the right path? It's a good habit to have. It's a good idea to think about as Christians where we are going, how we're getting there, with whom we are walking, and where the path leads. And these are the four road signs that I believe are here in the text tonight that are going to help us avoid the potholes that can cause damage to, to our faith and our life. The first road sign is to take care as you walk. The second one is to take care with who you walk with. Third one is to take care what you walk towards. And the fourth one is to take care of how your walk ends. So verse 15 here, we see the first road sign. Take care as you walk. It says in 2 Peter 2.15, They have gone astray by abandoning the straight path and have followed the path of Balaam, the son of Bosor, who loved the wages of wickedness. Now as I said earlier when we read it, the they 
It's referring to the false teachers that he's been discussing for this entire chapter, all right? Those that are teaching untruths about God. Now, what he says about them here is that they've gone astray by abandoning the straight path. Now, when we think of that word abandon, we might think of a, of a, um, a choice to leave, a choice to, to walk away from something, and that's what this word means. It means to be led astray or caused to wander. So the Greek word doesn't necessarily imply that they made this conscious choice per se, but we're going to see that there was reasons why they abandoned the path. But the New Testament is full of warnings, full of warnings that this can happen to anybody. Any Christian can abandon the straight path. And it happens all the time, unfortunately. It seems, it seems as though every New Testament author, as they talk about the, the, the dangers of strain, they, they always look at it as a battle, right? They, they, they refer to it as a battle, the battle to, to stay on the path, to stay in the truth. And so in our walks, we have to take great care to not be led astray. We have to take great care that nothing causes us to wander. Now, some examples of these warnings in the New Testament we find in 2 Corinthians 11.3. Paul says, but I fear that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your minds may be seduced from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. In Galatians, Paul writes, Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, <laughs> but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now, the idea of different gospels here in today's world with some of the false faiths that are out there, uh, one of them uh, is, is baptismal regeneration. That's a false gospel. Churches in, in, in faiths that go, no, we're, we're Christians, we believe in Jesus, but we don't believe Jesus alone is enough for salvation. You, you have to believe in Jesus and you have to be baptized. That's called baptismal regeneration. That is a subtle but false gospel because it's teaching a gospel that says, no, 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 it's my effort, not Jesus alone, that is the means of salvation. And then, of course, there's other overt ones with cults and stuff out there that teach all kinds of weird things and other gospels. And then in Acts chapter 20, verse 29 through 31, it says, I know that after my departure, and this is Paul writing to the Ephesian church, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up even from your own number and will distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for three years, I never stopped warning each one of you with tears. So throughout the New Testament, we see over and over and over again warnings about potholes, <laughs> warnings about the things that, could, that can damage our walk. And, and, and we see these warnings talk about the pothole of legalism, the, the pothole of self-righteousness, the pothole of pride, pothole of apathy, of anger, jealousy, the pothole of doctrinal error, right? These things can cause us to stumble, to waver, to stray, to be caused to wander from the straight path. Now, Paul said almost the exact same thing to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. This is what he said to them. Pay careful attention then to how you walk. Not as unwise people, but as wise. Pay careful attention to how you walk. The point is, is as you walk, as you're living this Christian life, pay attention. Watch where you're putting each step. Watch what you're listening to. Watch what you're letting influence your, 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 your life. Watch what, what, what you're, where you're getting your truth from. You know, obviously we should be getting it from the Bible, but, but always be ready to be like the Bereans to say, hey, I'm going to check that out. Make sure that that lines up with Scripture. You know, being mindful of where you step is important in many different areas of life. When I go into my backyard to, to pick up the gifts that my dog leaves behind, um, I pay careful attention to where I step right? You know, nobody wants to step in doctrinal doo-doo. Nobody wants to do that. And so you just got to be mindful of watching where you walk. Now, we don't want to become prideful, self-appointed arbiters of truth, right? You know, I am the only one that knows what's true, and I'm the only one that will determine it. We don't want to become that. But we do want to be able to discern 
to discern. And that's a word we find in the Bible. There's a, a, a gift of discernment, you know, and the Holy Spirit allows us and moves on us to distinguish between truth, between truth and error. And that's what discerning is. We need to be able to distinguish between truth and between error. We need to be able to hear somebody say something and go, that's right on with the word of God. Or, you know, that sounds fishy. That doesn't sound right. To listen carefully, the idea is, while you walk carefully. You know, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 20 through 21, it says this, don't despise prophecies, but test all things. Right, don't despise prophecies. We don't want to become people that's like, anybody that says, oh, I got a word from the Lord, they're all false, they're all wicked. You know, no, don't despise prophecies, but test everything. See if it lines up with the truth of the word of God. Hold on to what is good, he says there. Mike, Mark Twain put it this way. A lie can make its way halfway around the world while truth is still lacing up its boots. Isn't that true? Right? Some dictator, I, I can't remember exactly what dictator it was. It might have been Hitler. But they said, you know, you tell a truth long enough, everybody will believe it. You know, they say in the world today, marketers and, and, and politicians, unfortunately, and people like, you know, just put a lie out there and 50% of the people that hear it believe it automatically. Believe it without any type of evidence. I mean, that, that's, that's some serious power to be able to wield and influence people that way. But we see truth in that statement when we see how fast error will travel, especially in today's world, right? With the internet and social media, error can just travel so fast and reach thousands and thousands and thousands of people instantaneously. And on top of that, it seems to be human nature to go astray, right? It, just, it seems to be our, our nature, I know growing up, that was, that was my nature. You know, like I, I remember in high school, I wore these, these ugly Converse. They had these Converse that had like a different color on each panel. One panel was orange, one panel was green, the back was yellow, right? They were disgusting shoes. But I wore them simply because nobody else would. I showed them, right? I was the one with ugly shoes. But it was like, I'm gonna be rebellious, right? It's like almost our human nature to want to do the opposite. You know, you put a sign, on a wall that says wet paint, don't touch, what do you want to do? Touch it. Wet paint, don't sit here. I want to sit on the bench now. I mean, it's just, it's, it's in our nature to want to rebel, and that's because we have the sinful nature with us. The idea is every human, we all have alignment problems. We all have problems staying on the straight path already without aiming for the potholes that are going to wreck our, our drive and wreck us and get us all over the place. And so take care as you walk. Be very careful. The second road sign is to take care who you walk with. Now this should just make sense to us, right? Who you hang out with is very important because they have great influence on who you are. You guys may have heard it before, right? You, you are the sum of the five people you hang out with most. Right? And there's a lot of truth to that. You know, if you want to find out your values and your priorities, well, look at the five people you spend the most time with. Look at their values and priorities, and you might find that you're in great alignment because you spend so much time together. This, this, this desire to spend time with people that are like us and, and, and influence them and then have them influence us, that's why people to get, gather together around common interests, why they create clubs, Younger generation, there's Discord, and people make Discord channels for every single concept of wanting to gather together and chat and hang out around these things. These gatherings have great effect in promoting the pursuit of the common interest, right? In, in encouraging one another to, to, to move forward in something. Amos 3.3 said, can two walk together unless they are agreed? So we find people... Um, in our lives that have a common interest. And the idea here, and we're gonna get to you know, these false people, um, the idea is to not align ourselves with false teachers, right? That's what the whole first half of the chapter was about. Identify them. Be able to identify them so you're not walking with them. Right? Find people that agree with God's truth and walk with them. Find people that wanna pursue the truth of what God's word says and walk with them. It's one of the reasons why we go to church. Right? It's one of the reasons why we have congregational gathering, to, to come together, to, to, to worship together. There's a commonality in that, to hear the word taught and preached. 
you know, to, to study together. It's also the reason uh, why we're going to be starting uh, community groups is what we're calling them, our small group ministry at the end of next month. Because when we come together, whether it's congregationally or in smaller groups, we, we find ourselves coming together in, in the ideas and the commonality and getting on the same page of stuff because we're reading the same manual, right? We have the same word of God. We want to study that together. And so when we come together and, and focus on this, we find ourselves being encouraged by one another and being encouraged by that fellowship. So when we watch, when we listen, when we discuss and have conversation about truth, when we, when we interact this way, we're interacting with how other people are applying the manual for living, the word of God in their lives, how they're learning to walk with Christ, and that's an encouragement to us and back and forth, right? This is the whole idea. But I want, to notice, uh, I want us to notice some repeated words here in the verses we're looking at tonight, because they're all third-person words. You'll see in verse 15, he says, they have gone astray. Verse 17, he says, these people are springs without water. Gloom of darkness was reserved for them. Verse 18, they seduce. Verse 19, they promise them freedom, but are actually slaves of corruption, and so on and so on. If you want to go through that section on your own, if you have your own Bible, if you highlight in your app and just look at they, them, just highlight all of those because it really get, paints a picture of who he's talking to, right? Peter is writing about those guys. Peter is writing about them dudes, right? He's speaking collectively about the false teachers as a group and their followers. And that's why he keeps saying they and them over and over. Now, the reason I point this out is because normally it's unhealthy, I think it's unhealthy to have an us and them kind of mindset, right? Normally, it's unhealthy to have a, a we and they kind of mindset. It's generally not good to do that in the body of Christ, right? Because we're family, even though we're different fellowships. You know, there's things that aren't doctrinally um, um, critical that we can disagree on as fellowships, you know, and we can still have koinonia fellowship together. But the idea is that as the body of Christ, you know, we're, we're a family. We're in this together. We're brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. And so generally not a good idea to encourage an us-them mentality. But, but following Peter's example and teaching here in this section, we see it's very healthy to have a division between us and them. It's very healthy to, to have a contrast between those who hold the truth of, of the historic Christian faith and those who pervert the gospel or those who introduce new contradictory ideas of what it is or try to bring back old ancient heresies that the church has already shut down. Modalism is one of them that's big in our world today. Modalism is the concept that, that God the Father and God the Son and in the Holy Spirit, they are not eternally co-equal and co-existent um, uh, beings. They deny the Trinity. They say God the Father became God the Son. So when Jesus was on earth, there was no Father in heaven. He switched to a different mode. And then God the Son became the Holy Spirit. So then when the Son was gone, you know, modalism, it's modes. And today it's called oneness Pentecostalism, oneness theology. And it's false. It's a false doctrine. Now, they, they'll say all the right things and sound really good and say, we believe in Jesus and we believe in the word of God and we believe, you know, but, but when you start to dig into what they believe, you go, oh, the Jesus you believe in is not the Jesus of the Bible. Well, that's no different than Mormonism. That's no different than Jehovah's Witnesses. That's no different than, than a lot of different cults out there. And so you've got to be careful and have your, have your eyes open. 1 John 2.19 said this, they went out from us but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belong to us. The idea is that there was people that started out within the body, within the community, but then they went out and started perverting the gospel and teaching things that the Bible doesn't teach and saying the Bible says things that it doesn't say. And John says here that, that they went out, from us, went out from us, but they don't belong to us. They weren't a part of this family. So it's important to have people in your life that, that will indeed inspire you spiritually, right? People that will, that will be a part of your, your, your we group, your us group, right? People that are on the same page. It's, it's very important to surround yourself with people like that, people that love the Lord, love truth, 
people that will inspire you to get better and to get stronger and to go longer in your walk with Jesus. Yes, that's all really important. But in speaking with they, or speaking of they and them and those, Peter here says, basically, don't associate. Now, he brings up an Old Testament story that characterizes the, the, the ultimate motivation behind some of these false teachers. Verse 15, they have gone astray by abandoning the straight path and have followed the path of Balaam, the son of Bosor, who loved the wages of wickedness, but received a rebuke for his lawlessness. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Now, you guys have all heard of Hebrews chapter 11, right? The great hall of faith, right? Balaam is in the Old Testament hall of shame. That's who this guy Balaam is. He's a very unusual guy because you go back and it's in Numbers that you can read his story. He was a Gentile prophet that was called upon by a guy named Balak who was the king of Moab. And the king of Moab said, said Balaam, I, I want to hire you to go curse the Jewish people because they're coming into the land and there's a whole lot of them. <laughs> there, there's a bunch of these Jewish people. So I want you to go curse them. And so Balak hires Balaam, and, and in summarizing the story, Balaam knew that what he was going to go do was wrong. He knew that going out to curse God's people was wrong. The Lord warned him, but he still goes anyways to curse God's people. God said, don't do it, and he goes anyways. Why? Well, in that story, we read that he did it because the money was good. He was getting paid a lot. But not only that, the honor from the king would be greater because you go through the story and first there was money and Balaam's like, okay, and he goes, oh, I don't know if I should. And then Balak's like, okay, bro, I will honor you. I will raise you up in the kingdom. And then Balaam's like, oh, okay, fame, money and fame? You mean I could be an influencer? I'm in. I'm in, sign me up. And so he goes in direct disobedience to the Lord but while he's on his way, the Lord, it says there, opened the donkey's mouth, enabled it to speak. That's what that word open means. He literally enabled it, gave it an ability that it, that it could not, it did not have and could not do. It wasn't the Lord manifesting in the donkey as someone told me recently. No, it was the spirit of God that inhabited the donkey. No, the, the, God just did a miracle, made the donkey talk. So a donkey, an animal without any ability to speak, was enabled to speak by God. Donkeys are known as stubborn animals. But the problem in Balaam's story was Balaam was being even more stubborn. He wasn't listening to truth. He wasn't listening to God. And it took this miracle to get his attention. I think Peter's point in, in saying they and them and those and, and relating them to Balaam is saying that, that, that there are people who will use their gifts to benefit themselves. They will, they will use their talents to benefit themselves. They will use their, their gifts to, to get rich, to get influence, to get fame, to get power, to get control, and they will mask it with, oh no, we believe in Jesus too. They will mask it with, you know, we, we believe in the gospel too. And they want to lure you in, and you go, oh, this sounds pretty good, and so I'll buy your book, and I'll go to your seminar, and I'll listen to your YouTube page and channel. And then subtly and insidiously, they weave in these false truths. And that's how you get led astray. There was a survey done that asked people what they would be willing to do for $10 million. What would you be willing to do for $10 million, right? Get a tank of gas. That's, that's how it is in our world today. But you think about it, it's like, what would I do for $10 million? And some of the answers were alarming. 25% of the people in the survey for $10 million said that they would abandon their family just up and leave their spouse and their kids for $10 million. That, That's the price. 23% said that they would become a prostitute for a week just to get $10 million. 7% in this survey said that they would kill a stranger if they were given $10 million. That means if there was 100 people in this room, seven of them would just kill a stranger just to get the money. Well, Balaam was willing to curse God's people because the price was right. Balaam was willing to curse God's people because the status was right. The fame was right. And so Peter goes on to describe these, these people. In 2 Peter 2, 17, he says, These people are springs without water, mists driven by a storm. 
the gloom of darkness has been reserved for them, right? He's hammering the point. These aren't the people you want to walk with in your faith walk. When he says springs without water, I mean, imagine being like so thirsty and you're somewhere where there's no water and you see a well and you're like, oh my gosh, or, or you know, you, there's a drinking fountain and you're like, oh my gosh, I am so thirsty. I've never been this thirsty. And you get up and the drinking fountain doesn't work. Has that ever happened to you? That's like the worst day of your life right there in that moment, right? So I am so thirsty, I'm so thirsty, but, but there's no refreshment. That's what false teachers are. You know, I believe people in this world, we, we have a thirst for spiritual things. I believe people are wired with a thirst for spiritual things, and false teachers know this. They know this, and that's why they make false promises, but there's no refreshment to be found. There's no hope. There's no, there's no truth to be found in what they said. And then he goes on to say, mists driven by a storm. The idea there is that it, it's clouds that blow in and blow out, right? Imagine, I mean, especially here in California, right? We have our, you know, California storm watch once a year where it rains for a couple days, and we go into a panic and think the end is near, and then it stops raining, and that's it. And that's all the rain we get every year, right? And we've had this drought going on for a thousand years, it feels like at this point, you know, it's like, we need rain. And then, you know, you look up and you see these dark clouds coming, you're like, yes, the rain is coming. The ground's no longer going to be parched. It's going to be so refreshing. And then the clouds just blow by, no rain. That's what he's talking about here when he says mists, (laughs) mists driven by a storm. They don't bring anything. They just fly on through. And then the gloom of darkness has been reserved for them. You know, it's just talking about that what's to come for them, that, that, that they just, they, they don't do anything that is beneficial. And so verse 18, he goes on to say, for by uttering boastful empty words, they seduce with fleshly desires and debauchery people who have barely escaped from those who live in error. By uttering boastful empty words. It's, it's the idea that they make a lot of noise but there's no comfort in anything they say. There's no reassurance. They might be fun to listen to, but they don't say anything significant. They don't say anything of substance. You know, that that phrase, boastful, empty words? Boastful. Boastful means an overinflated self-importance, meaning that that they, they may be great public speakers, and they're good at it and they know it, and they know how to manipulate, and they know how to say the right things in the right way to, to, to move crowds, and they use that gift to lure people to follow them and their teaching, and in the context of churches, it's no, you need to come to our church, because our church is the only one with the truth, and our church is the only one you could be saved at, and, and then when you join our church, you have to do things our way, and you can only date who we say you date, and on and on and on and on. It's interesting when it says uttering, that word literally means making sounds that come from your mouth without saying anything of substance. You might as well just be grunting because that's about as deep as what you're saying is anyways. Seduce, that means to lure and trap like catching a, a fish on a hook. And they, they seduce them with fleshly desires. That fleshly desires doesn't just mean overtly gross sinful things. It's talking about appealing to, to things of this world to lure them right? It, 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 it's twisting the truth in the gospel to say stuff, you know, hey, you know, if you just give, give us $1,000, God's going to make you rich. And it's appealing to that, that fleshly desire. Who doesn't want to have wealth? Who doesn't want to have money? You know, and so they appeal to these things, you know. Oh, do you want to have your best life now? Okay, you know, th- that type of stuff. And they're appealing to, to, to what we want here on this earth. Now, there's nothing wrong with saying, I want a good life, right? There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with saying, you know, hey, Lord, if you want to bless me with wealth, there's nothing wrong with wealth. That's not the point. But the point is, is they appeal to these things to manipulate people into following them. And then, like I said, they'll say things like, you can only be saved by, by coming to our church. Or you can only be saved by, by, by our version of the gospel that we're preaching. Or our organization's standards. And, and of course, their standards either go far beyond what Scripture ever intends, or outright just, you know, contradict what Scripture teaches. And the sad part is what he says here is people who are not grounded in the truth, people who have barely escaped from those who live in error, right? He's talking about those who are young in the faith, baby believers, 
impressionable would be the words you would use, they're easily swayed. They're easily captured by false teachers. And I think that's why God has such really critical things to say about false teachers here. I mean, can you imagine being a parent, right? And, and you have your, your, your brand new baby newborn and they're just helpless. And somebody comes along and harms them. You'd be like, you know, you better get saved right now because I'm going to kill you. <laughs> it's just, you, right? And this is kind of how God sees his, his, his newborn, born-again baby believers. And false teachers come along and sway them and stray them off the path. So take care who you walk with. The third sign is to take care what you walk towards. Verse 18 again, he says, For by uttering boastful, empty words... They seduce with fleshly desires and debauchery people who have barely escaped from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption since people are enslaved to whatever defeats them. For if, having escaped the world's impurity through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in these things and defeated, the last state is worse for them than the first. So they promise freedom, but they promise a false freedom. What they're promising is you can be legalistic, you can be prideful, you can be what you want, you can do what you want, you can live how what you want and still be saved and still go to heaven. Now, they don't say it that way, but that's what they're saying. You want to live according to a faith where, where if you don't do this, the only way to get into heaven is to not do these things, that's legalism. Oh, you could do that. You must do these things or you can't be saved. Oh, yeah, no, you could do that. This, this is what they get into, and their perverted gospel ultimately is works-based when you get into it. You can have that pride, they say, that, 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 that feel-good feeling. You, you can could, you could have that sense of accomplishment by, by, by earning salvation on your own merits and still claim Jesus and still be spiritual and, and still assuage that guilt of sin. And so... So Jesus plus baptism in order to be saved. Because, yeah, hey, you can have Jesus, but it's still based on your work. Jesus plus this work. Jesus plus that work. And then on the surface, it might sound really good. Oh, well, that, that, sounds, that sounds great. Yeah, that sounds good. And meanwhile, they're feeding you subtle, twisted, perverted gospel truths. The problem, I think, in our lives is the more we do as we please, ultimately, the less pleased we are with what we do. Think about it. If you want to try and live a self-righteous life and, and still be good with Jesus, eventually you're going to get tired of the self-righteousness because you're going to realize you're not. If you're going to think, I could still, you know, be promiscuous and, and be addicted to this and that, I could still do all that. Now, I'm not saying you can't be saved, okay? We're not talking about that, but I'm talking about a healthy faith walk. I could still live in sin and, and, and be good with God. You can sin and be saved because God saves you based upon his blood and his sacrifice on the cross. But that discipleship, that growth, that maturity is stunted when we live in sin. And false teachers want to convolute all that together and say, no, you could do both. And so what it says they promise is freedom. Oh, you're free to live however you want. But what they really offer is bondage. Now verse 19 into verse 20, this is a difficult passage because nobody is entirely sure <laughs> who Peter is referring to. Nobody is. You can read commentaries and everybody think, well, it might be this, it might be this, it might be this. You know? um, and it's a difficult passage. Um, I want to share with you what I think he's saying here. In verse 19, he says, they who promise freedom, okay, that's obviously referring to the false teachers who seduce people who have barely escaped from those who live in error. He's talking about the false teachers here. And then in verse 19, he says, they, the false teachers, promise them, those hearing the false teaching, freedom. And they promise them freedom by, by presenting a false gospel, false doctrine. They make sure it sounds really close, but it's false. But here's where it gets blurry. Verse 19, he goes, but they themselves are slaves of corruption since people are enslaved to whatever defeats them. Now, this seems to be pointing back to the false teachers, right? They themselves. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. That word enslaved means fail to resist, 
All right, so they fail to resist corruption. And so in, in that reading, it's the false teachers, they fail to resist the fleshly desires and the debauchery that they seduce others with. But then you get to verse 20, and it says, for if, having escaped the world's impurity through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and on and on, you go, wait a second. Didn't verse 18 mention those false teachers seducing people who have escaped from those who live in error? So, is he referring to the false teachers or is he referring to those who are hearing the false teaching, right? The problem with this is verse 20 taken out of context. People look at that and they go, oh, this is where the word teaches you could lose your salvation. This is where the Bible teaches you could be saved and lose it. But you come to that conclusion if you take verse 20 out of context. And so as usual, any verse taken out of context can be made to say basically anything. Okay, so context is key. And the context of this verse is not only the entirety of chapter 2, but it's also the entirety of First and Second Peter as a whole. And then obviously we always have the greater context of the overall message of Scripture. And Scripture, I believe, is clear in many, many places. You cannot lose your salvation. Ephesians is one of those places that when you put your faith in Christ and you are saved, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And that seal is a certain word, talks about a seal that can't be broken. Now, you can hinder your spiritual growth, but you can't lose your salvation. You can not be genuinely saved and think you're saved. The Bible talks about that. But the Bible doesn't say you could genuinely be saved and lose your salvation. But James, the book of James, has a whole lot to say that just because you claim salvation doesn't mean you are. Right? That's what the book of James is all about. You say you have faith, I'll show you my faith by my works. But if you have faith without works, it's a dead faith, right? That's what James teaches. Intellectual assent to the truth of the gospel does not mean that you've been regenerated. In the entirety of this chapter, the context of this chapter, God, through Peter, has been slamming the false teachers, right? Remember in our last study, he talked about the destruction that was cut upon them. And he, destruction, 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 over and over and over. It's like, look, if they continue in this false teaching, they stick to this false gospel, destruction is going to come upon them. He says they are made for destruction. Whereas when we see God talking to his general, uh, genuine children, his genuine children that are sinning, we always see that there's, there's this grace and there's this encouragement and there's this forgiveness and there's come back to me and there's this mercy presented. And so I want to go back to John, 1 John chapter 2 again to, to, to get context of what I think verse 19 and 20 here are talking about. So 1 John chapter 2 verse 15. He says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And we just talked about these false teachers. They seduce people with fleshly desires and debauchery. John says in 1 John 2, 16, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. By this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it, be might, so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. So these false teachers, I believe what this, putting this together is, is the, these are people who may have been in the church and in the community, but they were never saved to begin with. They were never genuinely saved. They were never part of God's family. And so verse 20 to me, when he talks about for if, I believe he's referring to the false teachers. And the logic follows this way. Verse 20, he says, if having escaped from the danger of the world's, or the world's impurity. That phrase, having escaped, simply means to avoid the danger, right? So if they have avoided the danger, the danger of what? It says right next, the world's impurity. What is the danger of the world's impurity? The danger of the world's impurity is bondage to sin. The danger of the world's impurity is the opposite of the freedom that they were allegedly preaching to people. So he goes, if having avoided the danger of bondage to sin through the truth of the gospel, and he says knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, 
That knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ would be how Jesus set us free from the bondage of sin and death. The knowledge of that, and it just says knowledge. That word's talking about intellectual assent. And then it says, then they are again entangled in sin. Entangled means to be intertwined with and defeated, which means to succumb to or to end up controlled by. Then their last state is worse than the first. It demonstrates that these false teachers were never saved to begin with. That's what I believe these two verses is getting at. And why is their last state now worse than their first state? Well, this is the fourth and final road sign. Take care of how your walk ends. Verse 21, he says, It would have been better for them to not have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy command delivered to them. The language here isn't implying salvational knowledge. It's implying intellectual knowledge. Why is their last state worse worse than the first? Because prior to knowing the truth, they were simply ignorant. They were blind, deaf, dumb, and sin. But having learned the truth of the gospel, they are now accountable. Accountable for themselves and accountable for those they lead astray. But instead of correcting their error, instead of demonstrating, and we talked about this last week, that there's room to, to, to be wrong, right? There's room for that, and then you go, hey, that's not what the Bible says, and oh my gosh, let me correct myself, right? We talked about Apollos and how he was corrected. But instead of correcting their error, and thus, in my opinion, demonstrating that they're truly children of God, they continue in their falsehood, they refuse to deviate from the truth of it, and therefore prove that they never were gods to begin with. And that's what John says. They, they went out from us, but they never belonged to us. And so verse 22, I think, supports this. And it says, It has happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to its own vomit, and a washed sow returns to wallowing in the mud. What is he saying there? They're still pigs. They're still dogs. <laughs> they weren't changed. They were never made anew. You know, in our culture, dogs and even pigs, to a degree, are considered pets, right? They're considered family. Right, very popular among the younger generations. You know, it's a dog's no longer a pet. It's like, it's, it's my baby. I'm a, I'm a dog mom. I'm a dog dad, right? They're, they're these, you know, valuable parts of our family. But 2,000 years ago, nobody had dogs as pets. Nobody had pigs as pets, for sure, especially in that culture. Dogs were scavenger animals that, that ate garbage. Pigs were considered highly unkosher. So it was never a compliment of any kind to be called a dog or a pig. Hardcore Jews called Gentiles dogs, right? It was, it was, it was a def, um, defamatory. Is that a word? Defaming? Yeah, right? It was, a, it was not a good term. Okay, we'll go with that. Derogatory. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> I'm like, what? And if you remember back in chapter, uh, verse 12 of chapter 2, he said these people like irrational animals, creatures of instinct born to be caught and destroyed... And here Peter gets more specific, right? They're like dogs that return to their own vomit. What does that mean? Dogs do what dogs do. You know they're dogs because they do what dogs do. Pigs, they return to the mud. Why? You can clean up a pig. You could put a bow tie on it. You could give it a bath. But guess what? The first mud it sees, it wants to jump in it and wallow around. Why? Pigs are pigs. Pigs do what pigs do. So proximity to truth being close to truth, uh, even knowing truth isn't really a guarantee of change. And what I mean by that is just intellectually giving assent to truth. Oh, that, that sounds true. I believe that's true. That doesn't mean you've submitted to the will of God. That doesn't mean you've yielded your heart to him. That doesn't mean you've been regenerated. That, that's what I'm getting at here. You know, what we need in our life so that our lives are truly changed what we need in our lives so at the end of our walk (laughs) we know where we're going and the promises of heaven all the stuff that Peter's been talking about through these two letters is we need to be given a totally new nature we need complete regeneration we need to be born again the Bible talks about we need to completely submit to and and completely accept and then then start to live in obedience to the truth of the gospel that's what we need to, to, to have our walk end well, the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that then has affected change in our lives. And I think what he's talking about here is not a can you lose your salvation or not. He's just saying these false teachers, they came to a knowledge of what was true, but it didn't change their lives because why? They're still dogs, they're still pigs. That's what I think he's getting at here. So to close this chapter, 
How do we avoid potholes on our road of faith? Well, one, take great care as you walk. Keep your eyes on truth. Develop an ability to discern truth from error. And we develop that ability by being intimately familiar with truth, right? Know the word of God. Study it. Read it. Take great care who you walk with. You know, surround yourself. Listen to um, truth-seeking, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving believers and test them, right? And go back to the Bible. They said this. Is that, is that what the Bible teaches? When you identify that someone you're learning from or, 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 or being influenced by is teaching false doctrine or a false gospel, yeah, lovingly try and show them the truth. But if they refuse to correct error and demonstrate that they're ultimately in it for themselves, right? There's, a, there's an underlying reason why they want to believe this false truth instead of the real truth, whether it's their own fame or their own fortune or their own status, power, or control. They're demonstrating that they're still under the control and the pursuit of fleshly desires. And so stop walking with them. Stop walking with them. Take great care of what you walk towards, right? Freedom is only found in Jesus Christ. The Jesus Christ of the Bible. <laughs> Salvation is only found in Christ, him and him alone, nothing else. It's not Jesus plus anything. Go read the book of Hebrews if you want to get into that one. But stay on the straight path. Stay on the narrow way. And take great care how your walk ends. Take great care that you don't end up like these false teachers, but instead, as Peter said in 1 Peter 1.5, that you'll be guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you, God, for your word. Lord, passages like this can be difficult because they seem very intense, Lord. This whole chapter has been intense, and yeah, Lord, we thank you for it. We think, thank you for the reminder. We thank you for the guidance. We thank you for the truth especially when it comes to what we're listening to, what we're reading, what we're watching, what we're hearing. Because God, unlike any time in the history of man, we are inundated with information. And so it's that much more critical that we comb through it to make sure that it is truth, true truth <laughs> that we are learning. And so, God, may we all, like the Bereans, when we hear somebody teach, even this teaching tonight, to be able to go back and say, let's line that up with the word of God and see if that's true. Because, God, your word is truth. Jesus, you said you are the way, the truth, and the life. That is salvation. Not you plus anything else. Not any perversion of the gospel. Not any other variation of the gospel. You and you alone. And so, God, may we trust in that and live that life, God. And we ask that you would continue to, to guide us to truth. Lord, whether it's stuff we're listening to online or, or the church we're at, God, that we would continue to be able to discern truth, to be, to be fed and edified appropriately and accurately, God. And then, Lord, through that, we would grow in you, avoiding the potholes in this road, this straight, narrow road of faith. And that ultimately in that, God, we would be able to look to the left or right or ahead of us or behind us, Lord. And if we see anybody straying, anybody on a wrong path, Lord, that we'd be able to lovingly show them truth. To bring them back to the straight path. That they wouldn't be led astray or caused to wander, God. But they would be on that narrow road, that narrow path through that narrow gate that leads straight to you, God. Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's worship, guys.